Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who are keeping heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Crystal Bray. Crystal Bray is a folklorist with the Wooden Boat Museum of Newfoundland and Labrador. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Cultural Anthropology from Wilfrid Laurier University and a Master's in Public Folklore from Memorial University of Newfoundland. Since 2012, she has traveled around the province, learning from boat builders and fishermen to enhance the museum's collections and exhibits. Audio and video recordings, photographs, and boat design and construction details are archived and exhibited online and at various locations across the province, including the Wooden Boat Museum headquarters in Winterton. Crystal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. And the Wooden Boat Museum of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, how long has the museum been running? Uh, it's been running as a provincial museum since about 2008. Before that, they were the Winterton Boat Building Museum. Yeah. And they, this is kind of an interesting thing for, for the museum. They're kind of unique in a way in the province. They, they started off as a community museum, a small community museum, yep. really focused on Winterton. And they've expanded their scope to really look at boat building as a, as a skill and a tradition across the province. Yep. They actually started... Uh, as a, uh, it was just supposed to be an exhibit, a temporary exhibit for Come Home Year, um, and they based it on uh, David Taylor's research. David Taylor was a folklore master student in the '70s, and he wrote his thesis on boat building in Winterton. And uh, there's a book published about it. So they ended up using his work to uh, to create a community museum based on boat building, and it was such a success with the Come Home Year that. Uh, one of the residents donated a building, and they made it a permanent community exhibit. Yeah. And after a few years, they realized that what they were doing was applicable to everywhere in the province, and they expanded their mandate and became the Wooden Boat Museum of Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, it's an interesting model for, for community museums because they they really have focused on a particular theme. And yeah. we, we don't see that terribly often with community museums in the right. province. They're, they're largely focused on stuff that is from that particular community. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that this has really kind of reached out. And, and there are now kind of uh, satellite exhibits in, in other locations. There are, yeah. We have an exhibit in Twillingate at Long Point Lighthouse, and we also have an exhibit in Trinity at the Courthouse. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to that. Um, But I wanted to start off just about your work as a a folklorist. And it's also kind of interesting that the museum itself started off based on the work of a folklorist from from the folklore department, David Taylor, as you mentioned, who had gone out and done ethnographic work with with boat builders in in the Winterton community. And and the museum... um, still keeps that as a central part of its practice, that yeah. they, they have a folklorist on staff. You're one of the few people that can actually put folklorist yeah. on your business card, you know, <laughs> in the province. Um, how did you start off in folklore? What was your introduction to folklore? Um, I started, I guess folklore started when I was doing my bachelor degree in cultural anthropology at Laurier in uh, Waterloo, Ontario, and I had a folklore class. And... Um, I fell in love with all the material, and actually it also is tied to my family background. Uh, My parents are from Newfoundland, but I was born and raised in Ontario, so I grew up hearing about Newfoundland and mummers and fairies and all kinds of stuff in a very nostalgic, uh, romantic way. So that combined with um, my interest in cultural anthropology and then being introduced to folklore, it kind of seemed like all the pieces fell together. So. 
I uh, applied to Munn to do my folklore degree. Yeah. We had uh, Julie Pomroy on the show who was yep. talking about uh, root cellars, and yep. you had worked on a root cellar project with, with Julie. Yeah. Yep. And that was a, a co-op placement with the Heritage Foundation. And then you went on and did a co-op placement program with the Wooden Boat Museum. That was your f- introduction to the museum itself. Yep. That's yeah. That's correct. And what kind of work were you doing then? Uh, I did a project. When I first started, I did a project in Glovertown. So we just um, met about eight boat builders in Glovertown. It was me and a Naval Arc student that they hire for the summer. So we go to the community. Um, I interview the boat builders. Uh, the Naval Architect student documents the boats. So we do a process called lifting lines. So it basically involves taking a whole bunch of measurements so that we can recreate a blueprint of the boat so it can be rebuilt, basically. Um, how much did you know about boats when you started this I work? knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> I literally did not know stem from stern. I grew up in Brampton, Ontario. I barely even saw a boat. <laughs> and now here you are doing all this research with boat builders. Yeah, and now I, I see the little differences in boats, like, and it's, it's incredible like what you can train your eye to see. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, I know when I work with... Uh, um, with students, you know, from the folklore department, they 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 don't start off as as experts, mm-hmm. they, you know, but they they really can develop expertise in a particular yeah. field. And it's interesting with that you're kind of had this journey where you've started off not knowing anything about boats, and now you're kind of one of the the experts on 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 boat builders yeah. anyway in the province. You know, same thing seemed to have happened with root sellers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, Tell me a little bit about the field work that you do. How does that? How do you? How do you identify a community or or a, a person that you want to interview? It's kind of different every time. It's uh, it's opportunistic, really. Yeah. So the first year we had a contact in Glovertown through Parks Canada, and they were keen to help us. So we had a, a person in the community, and that is really essential um, to doing any sort of community research. Is having like someone that can introduce you to the community and. And kind of validate your existence being there. Yeah, um, it removes that, uh, that oh, like a broker that kind of yes, guides exactly. you into the yeah. community. Yeah, so you're not yeah. just a complete stranger walking up to these people. Yeah. Um, so we did Glovertown, and uh, and it worked out pretty well for our first our first project. The second year we went to we decided to focus on a particular kind of boat. So that was the Gander River boat. Okay. So we ended up going to the Gander River area. So that was Glenwood, Appleton, and around Gander Bay. And uh, we actually, the museum has a database of boat builders that um, Howard Cooper helped to create a few years ago. He basically called everyone in the province to find all of the boat builders <laughs> and had a chat with every single one of them. There's probably about 400 on it. Yeah. So from that list, I could find everyone in the area that was building boats and just kind of went around and called them up, knocked on their doors and found people who would be willing to talk to me. So you're talking about how you're doing uh, kind of research in, in geographical areas, but then also doing research on specific boat types. And you mentioned the Gander River boat in particular. Uh, for people who uh, also might not know a stem from a stem, <laughs> it, what, what is a Gander River boat? What makes it special? A Gander River boat is used on the Gander River, as you would expect. Um, but it's special because it was developed in that area for that river. Um, the history of the boat is, is kind of neat. Uh, settlement, European settlement in that area was really along the coast. Um, from the 1700s, there were salmon fisheries, but they were only at the mouth of the river because they were using punts to tend to the nets, and they couldn't go further up the river. But once they built the railroad across the province and they established a station in Glenwood, um, 
then there was a further need to go upriver. There was also a lot of logging happening at the time and logging camps and that kind of stuff. So once there was a need to travel further inland, the need for a boat to go up the river came from that. So local boat builders tried to mimic um, the Mi'kmaq canoes that were used on the rivers, uh, but they only had their they knew how to build a, a punt um, with local woods. So they tried to build a canoe by using the local wood and, and punt building techniques. Mm-hmm. So it was a double ended um, kind of clunky canoe at first and uh they eventually they were pulled up the river too they there was no engines at that time so it actually take three days to get from gander bay to uh to gander two days to get to glovertown and then a day by train to get to gander from gander bay and now it takes 20 minutes by car so (laughs) that's pretty cool but um yeah and then eventually when outboard motors became available um someone bought one and they attached it to their double-ended gander river boat but that just made the thing go in circles <laughs> so then they had to play with the design and try to adapt it yeah. to accommodate the motors so it's an interesting uh, case study then in local adaptation and mm-hmm. kind of a melding of styles as you say like it's this it's this kind of interesting mix of uh, of a Mi'kmaq idea with a european boat building technology yeah yeah yeah, and do you, do you see that in other parts of the province, or that that kind of local variation on on boat building styles, or is that kind of a unique thing in the province? Um, all places are very local and unique. Right now, actually, I'm working on a project on a bully boat, and this boat is popular in a very specific area of Trinity Bay. I'm not sure how if it goes beyond that or if it has a different name elsewhere. But there's also a different boat called a bully boat that is similar to this boat, but not quite this boat. So it's it's a debatable whether it is a version of that boat or if it is an entirely different boat. So it's kind of, that's where I'm trying to figure out now is what is a bully boat? So what, what would a bully boat look like? Um, there's two kinds of descriptions. Um, sometimes they blur and they say they can be both, but the one that I'm currently working on is it looks like a trap skiff or a motorboat. It's about uh, 23 feet long, and it has like a, it looks like a trap skiff inside, like with the fishing rooms and the standing rooms and and all that. Um, but it has what I was told was the defining feature of it is a washboard gunnel, which is like an extra plank on top of the gunnel that gives it an extra six inches of shelter. Oh, okay. And then so it's higher higher than, than a normal trap skiff. Yeah, the the gunnels kind of come up with an extra piece. Right. And that makes it easier for hauling and trawl and handline. Okay. Um, whereas a motorboat or trap skiff would lack that, and then they could still be used for that, but they would be easier to haul a cod trap right. without that piece. Yeah. But then there's a another kind of bully boat that is more widely known that was older, so it would have fallen out of use um, long before this one. But they were larger. They were like small schooners, and they were decked vessels. Right. But um, so all of the bullies a, have sails, and they as would well. have had a, a mast. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the smaller bully also has sails. Oh, okay. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. And would these be like a a, a mast that you could raise and, and lower, so it wouldn't be a permanent fixture of the boat, or would it be permanent? Uh, yeah, you could take it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's also something called a jackboat, which is also kind of like a tiny schooner. So yeah. is it like a jackboat slightly bigger than a bully? Or I don't know much about jackboats. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. And it's interesting because you, you say how that in, in different times, uh, the names mean different things. And in different locations, the, the names yeah. mean different Yeah, well, Punts and Rodneys are a classic example. Like if, whether you call it a punter or Rodney depends on where you are, who you are. 
all kinds of things. Some people say that one is a certain length, up to 14 feet is a rodney, and after that is a punt. Others say it's the shape of the counter. Others say how it's used. So, and what really, is it? What is the counter? The counter is the stern, <laughs> the <laughs> the back piece of the boat. Right. Yeah. So these these uh, this phraseology, the jargon that boat builders use, yeah. it is it is variable depending on where you are. In it the is. Province. Yeah. 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 Which must uh, present some challenges for doing field work. If you're if you're doing work in Appleton and then you're doing work in uh, you know Glovertown or yeah. doing work in Twillingate, yeah. they have slightly different terminologies. Yeah. Like um, if you're building a boat with steam and bending bending the ribs, some people call them ribs. Other people call them lats. Sometimes ribs implies that they were steamed. Sometimes it doesn't. So it, it's really... You yeah, have to, it's you need to be specific about your terminology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, t- tell me a, a little bit about you know the, the process of fieldwork, because I know you're doing work now, as you said, with a, a student from, from the Marine Institute here in St. John's. Yeah. So you're primarily focused on... Uh, collecting the stories and memories of boat builders, and then the architecture student is working on the lines of the boat. Is that yeah? That's of roughly? pretty much yeah. how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's involved with uh, taking the lines of a boat? How does that work? Uh, a lot of tedious measurements. <laughs> yeah. Um, it involves setting up almost like a grid around the boat. So you need a perpendicular and a horizontal um, that are plumb and square, and being straight is very important. Mm-hmm. And then you just take. A whole bunch of measurements from your reference points into the boat and end up with a bunch of curved lines and then those get put into AutoCAD and uh, and everything gets attached together and ferret out and they magically make boats. <laughs> yeah. So you end up with uh, uh, a computer a, model. You end up with a 3D, uh, 3D computer model of the boat. Yeah. And the idea kind of long term is then that someone could look at this at, at this plan and then actually recreate part That's of this right, boat. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Kaylin, our student this year, is currently working on a template for some of the boats we have documented to um, put them in a form that for building plans. So if someone does want these these boats to build them themselves, then we have a package that we can just pass on and it has everything they need to rebuild the boat. Right. And that's kind of how we build things now. We yes. we we get a we get a plan and we yeah. look at the paper and we read the instructions and then we do things. But this is not how boat no. builders would have done no. made the boats originally. Most if not all of them would never have seen their boats that were doing on a plan. So when we finish measuring their boat, we always give them a copy of the lines plan and it's the first time they've seen their boat in that in that, in that form. form. Yeah. 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 The, uh, I was talking to someone last week who Excuse me. He knew he wanted a boat, particular kind of boat, so he drew it on the floor of his store, and then he built it from drawing it on the floor of his store, and that's how he... But even drawing it ahead of time is very rare. Yeah, yeah. But there were certain techniques that boat builders would have for, for building boats. Like there was this... Uh, they would use a mold or, or a three-piece mold. Yeah, there's a few different kinds of molds. Um, there's a three-piece mold which is uh, just three sticks that can be aligned in certain ways to give you the different shapes of different timbers, like the three main frames. And then at one point, they could have been used to give you the shape of every frame, but that knowledge has kind of been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also half models, so they're like little wooden blocks of boats, and they're to scale, so you can uh, use that and scale up, and then you get your boat from that. Or a lot of people use full-size molds, which just... Um, actual full size shape of the three main frames, so the forehook, midship bend, and after hook, mm. and they'll just set those up on the keel and use those to get the shape, and then build from there. 
Yeah. So, so part of the work of the museum is to document these traditions, but mm-hmm. the, the goal is really to have the skills of, of boat building be preserved as well. So what is the museum doing to, to ensure that the skills of boat building are, are carried on? Well, we offer workshops, um, so you can come and learn how to build a boat, and it's actually really fun. Um, our boat builder, Jerome Canning, is really entertaining, and he really makes it a really good experience. So we have workshops. Um, if you come for the afternoon, there's a couple hours. You can come spend a whole day on Saturday, or if you're really committed, you can come spend a whole week and learn how to build a punt or a dory from start to finish. Yeah, and there have been people associated with the museum who've been building boats now. They're actually like in their sheds building. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. People <laughs> come and, and they learn and then they go back. A couple of people have come back again and done the workshop again once they get to a certain point and forget all the second half. And Right, yeah. yeah. One of your one of your directors of, on the board just yes. just launched a boat that he had made. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, and he had never made a boat before. Is it, he was kind of Frank. Muted, Frank yeah. yeah. So, but his father or grandfather had been a boat builder. What was yeah, story his there? father um, was one of the boat builders that was documented by David Taylor in the 1970s. So David's book actually has the lines plans for Frank's father's boat. So Frank took our workshop and uh, used the lines plans from his father's boat and and built his his own. Yeah. So you mentioned that you have a, a, a carpenter, Jerome Canning, mm-hmm. who is who is your boat builder, who's yeah. working on site. So what kind of projects has he been working on with the museum? Jerome does all kinds of stuff. Um, he actually spent some time in Spain recently mm. working on uh, a Basque whaling ship that's being reconstructed. Right. So, And this is going to be then sailed to North America. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which is very exciting. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's a replica of... Um, um, the San Juan that sunk in Red Bay, Labrador. Right. Yeah, and Parks Canada, the dive, divers and archaeologists, underwater archaeologists had, had done yeah. work on this, and I think in the 70s. In the 70s, yeah. Yeah, quite a remarkable project. So and now, now there's people in Basque that are using all those plans and stuff from Parks Canada and rebuilding the boat, and they plan to sail it back yeah. to Red Bay. Yeah, it's exciting work. Yeah, it is, it's yeah. Interesting. What, what's the response of the boat builders? You said you, talk, you talked about how you have this inventory now of, of traditional boat builders in the province. What do they think of the work that the museum is doing? It varies. Um, some of them think it's great. Uh, some of them, too, are really appreciate it uh, because they learned how to build boats from watching their uncles and fathers and grandfathers and stuff, but there's no one watching them anymore. Right. So they have no one to pass it on to. So there's been a couple times where I'll show up and they're delighted to have someone asking them questions because they never had that chance to pass it on. Yeah. Um, but other times, especially being a female, I've been looked at like, what do you, what do you care? <laughs> I wanted to ask about that. Wait, so you're you're a you're a young woman folklorist. You're doing work in a in a genre that is typically yeah. you know older men. Yeah. What's the response? Most people think I'm a student for starters, and that I'm doing a project for school. <laughs> right. So, and I don't even know if they hear me when I try to tell them otherwise. Yeah. But um, but yeah, they. I don't know. There was one time where there was one man who just had no time for me. I'd ask him a question and he would just ignore it. He, uh, it seemed like he thought I like wasn't worth talking to. But I had a male naval architect student at the time who knew just as little as me about little wooden boats, to be honest. And, uh, and yeah, and I noticed that if he was there, 
and I asked a question, he would give a very detailed answer to my male coworker. Right. Yeah. So then I just used that to my advantage, and any time I needed to know anything, I brought my coworker <laughs> with me, and he just stood there smiling and, smiling nodding, and nodding while and while I got the answers right. yeah. that I needed. <laughs> very good. You uh, you've also just been working on a new exhibit, a new um, a new display, a set of displays for the for the Winterton Museum um, called "They Came for the Fish, They Stayed for the Stages." Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about the evolution of this project? Yeah, um, it's kind of neat actually. We've had one of our uh, directors had he's really inter- interested in genealogy so he and there's another member of the community a mr parrot he collected information on every f- fishing stage that existed in his father's living memory so from like the late 1800s to about 1950 and they wrote down the families who owned every single fishing stage in winterton and there were 52 stages that they got so with this information uh where the stages were and who owned them they wanted us to uh, make an exhibit. So it's kind of hard to just put a bunch of names on a wall and call it an exhibit. So we kind of um, contextualized it and and talked about fishing stages in Newfoundland in general and how they're used, which of course ties to the fish flake and drying fish and that whole just economic way of life in Newfoundland. So the exhibit uh, is kind of a very, an overview um, of that process, which applies to everywhere in Newfoundland. And then there's a specific example of Winterton and uh, all of their stages. Explain the title of the exhibit. Um, they came for the fish and stayed for the stages. Um, well, when the migratory fishery first uh, attracted Europeans to the water, it was it was for the fish, and they would normally, or at first, they would come and take the fish and go back home for the winter and leave their premises abandoned. But eventually, and they'd have to rebuild every year, so eventually they started to leave people behind for the winter to take care of the premises and do things that needed to be done in the winter, like uh, repair flakes and build boats and, and basically claim the land as well because it was first come, first serve. So mm-hmm. if they left and someone else got there before them, then they would have lost their, their fishing spot. Mm. So they came for the fish, but they really started staying for the stages to, to keep them maintained. maintenance and, yeah, and ownership. Yeah, yeah interesting. Um, one of the other things that the, the Boat Museum does, which always seems to be very successful, is it, it holds an annual conference on, mm-hmm. on boats and boat building. And, and this moves around the province to various locations. Mm-hmm. Last year it was in Petty Harbor. The year before that it was... Uh, Glovertown? Glovertown, I think, yeah. And it's been in, it's been in various locations. Uh, so what happens at the Boat Building Conference? Lots. Um, we have a lot of uh, like activities, like at first boat building, like workshops and demonstrations on the, the Friday. It's usually like uh, engine repair or uh, net mending or how to flay a cod and things like that. Um, we have our meet and greet on Friday night. On the Saturday is usually filled with presentations, so um, all kinds of different people. We had the Shipwreck Society last year do a presentation, and I think I presented last year on Gander River Boats and mm-hmm. all of the research we did there. And we also have uh, demonstrations, so we usually invite uh, four of our boat builders to p- select a specific skill or a technique, really, and show it. So we set them up, and the crowd kind of mingles around, and you can go and, and interact with the boat builders and watch them perform this technique and chat with them and 
and see how people are doing things. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about it is that it, it does bring together these these people who who generally kind of work in isolation. Like yeah. boat building is kind of a solitary art in, in yeah. a way. You know, they work in their sheds. They don't. There's not really a, a network until and most don't want to be told how to do things. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great story that uh, Jerome Canning actually told once that he had been building, I think, a, a, a Dory or a Rodney in in the Arts Council, the, mm-hmm. the Craft Council offices, and and I remember him saying that one of the interesting things that happened was word kind of got out that he was building this this boat, and that uh, some older men started to come and kind of observe what he was doing, and then they would all tell him what he was doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone had their own way of yeah. doing it, yeah, and and people had their own techniques. I heard a story from someone in Glovertown who uh, said that he was building a boat, and everyone would come in and have an opinion on how he was supposed to do something. So he started doing it. Everything everyone recommended to him, he did it. And then when the boat turned out absolute garbage at the end, he threw it behind a shed and started building another one. And anytime someone came in and made a suggestion, he pointed them to the one he already built. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're doing some work now uh, on kind of specific boat builders as well. So you have a you're doing a research project around one particular boat builder. Yes. Yeah. So who is that? It's Vern Petten. And who is he? He is a fisherman from Port de Grave. Yeah. And what kind of boats does he? He's a uh, longliners actually, which are completely new to me. Yeah. I haven't done anything this big yet. So you're you're kind of moving up the scale. You've gone yeah. from Gander River boats, which are kind of small, yeah. up to these larger boats. Yeah. 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 So that should be more to learn there. Yeah. Um, do you do you have a favorite boat builder that you've kind of done some work with or a favorite story from, from one of your boat builders? Oh, gosh. I probably do have a favorite boat builder. I have a lot of favorite boat builders. But Sammy Feldham definitely stands out. I just saw him on Saturday, too. <laughs> like, so went for about... my own drive to vacation and stopped in to see Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Sammy. What does he build? Um, Sammy builds, he's built over 100 punts. Yeah. He grew up on an island in Bonavista Bay, Deer Island. He resettled, well, ju- he moved off the island just before it was officially resettled in 1953 and uh, moved to Glovertown. He, when he was 18, he went to work um, as a cook on a schooner. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think he was under 18. I think he might have been underage and snuck on and, uh, and did that on the Labrador. But um, he moved to Glovertown. He, was, he spent his life as a carpenter, so he built a lot of houses and stuff, but he continued to build punts every year so he's built over 100 punts and he was just very willing to share his information and when I met him too it was when I was new and I still did barely any stem from stern (laughs) so he had no problem putting down his tools and and explaining to me what he was doing and why he was doing it and instead of being annoyed by this like pesky girl in his shed asking him a bunch (laughs) of stupid questions so yeah, is there a location in the province that seems to be uh, that seems to be a good like a hotbed of boat building activity? Um, from what I've seen so far, Twillingate. Really? Yeah. And why is that? Are there just lots of there's lots of a boat lot yeah. of what? Well, yeah, I went there with a list. I think I got a list of eighteen people, and that was just from casual conversation. Like I'm sure if I dug harder, there'd be more. And yeah, I, I barely got through the list. So yeah, and they have a pretty active local committee as they well. They do. They have the uh, I might get this wrong. The Isle Wooden Boat Committee. Right, and so they're doing kind of work on a regional basis. Yeah, as they well. just they just acquired a building, so they're hoping to uh, to get their own kind of. Um, wooden boat exhibits and stuff on and the go. Twillingate is one of these places where you've kind of farmed out some of your exhibits. Yes. Yeah. So what's what's on display in Twillingate, or what has been on display? On display in Twillingate right now is our before fiberglass exhibit. 
So it just kind of tells the story of Newfoundland's wooden boats um, from prehistory up until today. And so how does this program work, the kind of uh, the sharing of exhibits? The you... sharing? In Long Point Lighthouse, it's a rental. Okay. Um, but uh, with Trinity, we've actually partnered. Right. So it's a, a formal partnership between us and the Trinity Historical Society and profit sharing and all that stuff. And so you have a little, in Trinity, it's a little shed in behind the uh, courthouse building. That we you... have the exhibit in the top of the courthouse, yeah. and then there's a shed in behind the courthouse. And we have a boat builder there, and he's actively building a boat all day, so you can stop by. And, and so is that a local him. boat builder from, from it Trinity? It is. It's a Vokey. It's oh, a one of the Vokeys. Yeah. yeah. And so have you been doing work with the Vokeys as well, you know, with Mr. Henry Vokey and Schooners? And... Uh, no, not much. Uh, before I started with the museum, they did a lot of they work a lot with of Henry work with Vokey. Him. So, yeah. uh, He's been nagged to death. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for the schooner launch, which was yeah. quite, quite a remarkable it was, uh, experience yeah. to see that happen firsthand. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. a big moment. So what's next? What are you doing next? Next. Port of Grave? You're doing work in Port of Grave? doing work in Port of Grave. I'm uh, learning about longliners. And, uh, and yeah. And if people want to visit the museum, how can they, how can they find out more information? They can go to our website, which is uh, www.org woodenboatnl.com or they can go to the boatsandbuilders.com website and see some of the uh, work that's been done on documenting boats and boat builders in the province. And you have a Facebook page as well. There's a, or there is a Facebook group for wooden boat enthusiasts. There's a group and a page. Yeah, yeah. very good. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a delight to, to have a chat. <laughs> and good luck me. with all your research. Thanks. You are listening to Living Heritage on CHMR, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm Dale Jarvis, and our production assistant is Tara Barrett. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening.